side of the family, extended family has been very welcoming and very open. And mm-hmm. again, I think in part of that was because we met again lost. at my mom's funeral and at my cousin's funeral, you know, like that I was, they were, a lot of them were seeing me for the first time since I was like six years old. So there wasn't much choice, but they've been so open and, and there's been all the years of, of gossip that I wasn't a part of that they've decided it's, it's um, you have to think about it in your family, your family. Yeah. Is it, you, people die. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Anya Fombat, and I spark the heart conversations that challenge questionable cultural and societal norms that threaten the well-being of the African community. And I also share stories about growing up as Africans in Africa and in the diaspora. I strongly believe that normalizing open discussions and sharing experiences, whether good or bad, will not only make you find your voice, but will broaden your sense of purpose and empower others to do the same. So if you have ever tried challenging certain African cultural and societal doctrines, or if you have ever felt like it is about time that we confronted these issues in our African community and do better as a people, or even if you have always been interested in learning about the experiences of other Africans growing up in Africa and the diaspora, then you are in the right place. Welcome to Living African. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Living African. So today we will be talking about a topic which, for lack of a better word, carries a little bit of a controversy within our African community. And we're going to be talking about the LGBTQIA plus community. If you don't know what that means by now, I would direct you to Google LGBTQIA plus. Now, this is in honor of Pride Month, which is the month of June. And when I started this podcast, the purpose of my podcast was to spark these uncomfortable conversations that people really shy away from, or, you know, the conversations that are typically hidden under the rug, you know, and so far we have had so many of these conversations and I have had a mixture of feedback from different people, which is okay. Some people will like what I say and some people will not like what I say, but that makes the goal of the podcast because not everyone will agree or feel comfortable with certain conversations that we have. Now, last year in the month of June, I had an entire month to honor the members of the LGBTQIA plus community in our African community. And as we may or may not know, this community actually has experienced a high level of intolerance from the African community specifically. And even when I had the interviews with members of this community last year, the amount of people who shared the podcast episodes, that's I believe it was four episodes that month. The people who shared the episodes were extremely low even though a lot of people listened to it because they were interested in the stories and the experience, but not many people shared it. Now, I didn't have anything against that, the people who did not share, because I respected their choice and their decision, right? And so I totally understand that, you know, it's okay if you don't agree with the way people want to live their lives, but I strongly feel like the least we can do to these people are to respect how they want to live their lives. 
especially as long as it does not have any impact on us. Now, think about the choices that you've made in your life. Think about the way you have decided to live your life in the past, right? Not everybody in your family, for example, will support who you love. Not everybody will support who you want to get married to, but you have that strong conviction and you have, you've made that decision or that preference. Like this is the person that I want to be with for the rest of my life. Sometimes you find yourself in that situation and you go ahead and you get married to that person or you continue that relationship with that person. And when you make that decision and you're like, with or without my family support, I will do this. And sometimes, or most times, your family decides to abide to your, you know, your preference to who you want to get married to. And in as much as they don't agree with you completely, the least that they could do as a member of their family is to go with your decision, right? To go with your preference, right? And to respect that. And that's what I also call for from our community. You may not support the members of the LGBTQ community, but I would plead with you to just respect them as humans first, because we are human beings first before anything. So that's why I want to really have these conversations. Now, talking about the uncomfortable conversations, you remember way back when, or at least in the last couple of episodes that I have had, we're talking about the sex education episodes. We're talking about the divorce episodes. We're talking about all these things. And there was one thing that has always stood out to me and I have always taken the opportunity to address because growing up, our parents usually did not like to have the conversation of sex. They weren't necessarily comfortable giving us that sex education because there was this ideology that talking to your children about sex and relationships as a whole is encouraging them to have sex or to be in relationships at very premature ages. But as adults, we have grown to see retrospectively that those conversations actually were very necessary to build our sexual lives as adults. It was very important for us to have these conversations, even though they were very uncomfortable. It was important for us to have them because as adults, we are clueless. We have no clue about what to do with our sex lives. We have no clue who to be or how to be in relationships. And that kind of also applies to the topic of the LGBTQIA community because this is a fact and is a fact whether we agree with it or not. There are members of LGBTQIA plus community in the African community. It's a fact. And those people will love who they want to love. It is a fact. So it doesn't matter what pressure we put on them. It doesn't matter the hate or the discrimination we put on them. It will not change who they want to love. And it is our duty, even though we are uncomfortable to have these conversations with these people, with or without these people, we can do research and learn about their community, or we can bring them in to bring us into their world as well to learn about this community and to learn about their lives, to learn about their struggles. Because this is a fact. There is a high rate of suicide levels within the LGBTQ community, in the black community and in the African community at large. If you ask me, I would rather my son or daughter love who they want to love or who they prefer to love than for them to take their lives because I 
did not want to see, or at least I did not want to respect how they choose to live their lives. I would rather my son or daughter be alive today than for them to die because of that. So this is not an effort to rub it in the face of our African community. This is not an effort to encourage people to be members of the LGBTQIA plus community because you can't really control how people live their lives, you know. But this is an effort to educate our people, to get our people to understand what these people go through, good or bad, to get our people to have more empathy towards this community, even though they may not agree with them, to get our people to ultimately respect members of this community. So today I have here with me Leon Mopecha. I hope I didn't butcher your name, Leon. No, you did a good job. Thank you. You exaggerated the syllables a little bit. Right. (laughs) Don't worry. You're going to tell me how to pronounce it. So I have Leon and Leon is such an amazing, amazing, amazing person. And the very first time I spoke to you, I was just like, you know, you have to come on. And you are a member, a very prominent member of the LGBTQIA plus community, your social media, your, I mean, everywhere I I have access to you. It's like you try to be very, you you basically own your truth, number one, and you try to, you know, just live your life, you know, in your truth. And I really appreciate that, you know. And so I have you on here because I really wanted our audience to get to know you as a person and also get to know you as a member of the LGBTQIA community in honor of Pride Month. And so I want to really welcome you here and I really look forward to having a very good conversation with you. Now, first things first, what are the pronouns that you go with or you go by? So hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Leon Mopecha. Okay. Yeah, in, in Pinyin, that's how it was pronounced. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, so that's Cameroon, how, by the way. Yeah, so that's how I was called in boarding school in Cameroon. But just Mopecha is fine. Mopecha, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so Leon Mopecha is my name. And my pronouns are they, them. So a lot of people, it's very contentious. Right. Um, they consider like why is it they because a lot of people think that they think of the word they as only Multiple. as a group but in english yeah. you use it every day as singular and plural so it is a singular gender neutral pronoun english is not the only language that does it but it's like the most popular language that does it so when you say whose bike is it like who, whose bike is this like it's their bike you're using it in right. a singular so I use they, them pronouns, and then I also am comfortable with he, him pronouns as well, like the masculine okay. pronouns and, and um, terms. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much for clarifying that. So I may use, you know, they, them, or he, his, you know, alternatively. So if yeah, you could permit that. <laughs> yeah. Fine. Yeah. Using both are, is fine. Okay. Thank you. And we're definitely going to go deeper down the road into why you decided to identify yourself as they, them, you know, I can't wait for, you know, the audience to hear why, you know, but let's go straight to it. Now tell us about yourself. Like, you know, we already mentioned you're from Cameroon, but just get us into your world as Leo. I'm like I said, I'm I'm from Cameroon. My parents, you know, my brothers, I was, I'm a first generation born in America, but I went to boarding school in Cameroon. And then I came back here. I live in Pennsylvania. I was born in Arizona, live in Pennsylvania, went to college here. I live in Philadelphia. And since I was young, you know, I have, well, I had older brother and older, like older, two older brothers. And so we, 
would just do everything together, playing video games, you know, doing sports. I was an athlete, not in, not in middle school so much, but when I, by the time I got to high school, I was doing track, martial arts, you know, karate, super active, drama. Then I went to university, did played volleyball, joined a fraternity, did lots of different stuff like that. And my mom was an English teacher to passed away last year, but she was an English teacher. My my dad is a math professor. So I've always been surrounded with school education. Right. Learning has has always been very encouraged in our in our household. I started reading from a really young age because of it. And I've always just been easily picking up things as much as I can get my hands on. I'm 21 years old, you know, I was born in 2000. So I grew up with some of like the late 90s stuff. And then mm-hmm. the internet came. Like, well, the internet was there. I had like a MySpace, and but the internet got bigger when Google came. Yeah. It, I was very much those early adopters. It's like, if I don't know something, I can just go on the internet and find it. I can mm-hmm. go to the library and find it. So I was always the school library. Oh, I've known, and I was friends with all of my school librarians my whole life. And I will just, I love the library, love going to learn. And so when it came to, discovering the LGBTQ plus community, which you know you can shorten or I I plus both are fine. The the plus kind of covers for everybody else. Right, right. Um but but you know both are fine. When it came to discovering the community, when it came to learning about the African American experience, because I'm an African who lives in America, which is right. from being African American. Yeah. Yeah, I'm African living in America, you know, I just I I like yeah, I just had some Gary earlier. Like it's different. It's different than being African American. And so, growing up at school, people would see me as African American, and I couldn't really speak to that experience. And so, right. I had to start learning about it in order to understand the racism, the stereotypes. And it was the same thing with the LGBTQ plus community. You know, my parents couldn't inform inform me about African American stereotypes or racism. They couldn't inform me about LGBTQ plus discrimination or stereotypes or anything like that. And even sex education, as you spoke on in your introduction, my parents didn't tell me anything about that either. I had to go learn about it on my own mm-hmm. and seek out mentors to learn about, you know, safe sex, different diseases you can catch. The ones you can catch even just by yourself, like, you know, like mm-hmm. yeast infection, things like that. Mm-hmm. I had to learn about all that stuff on my own. There was nobody who told me anything about it. Um, like, or like my parents like, didn't just offer it to me. Right. And so... It was very, like, I really appreciate what you said about how even though it's uncomfortable for the parents, because I was already about to graduate high school, my mom was trying to give me a sex talk saying that she wished she could have said it earlier, but she was uncomfortable because she didn't learn about any of it until she was getting married. Yeah. Um, which I was like, that's unfortunate for you because I know a lot of kids in my high school who have already had sex or were having sex from like middle school mm-hmm. and it happens or they've already been abused or, they've, you know, right, right. That, and they didn't know it was happening. Yeah. The same thing right. happened to me where I was raped and I was abused and I didn't know it was happening because I didn't know anything about it. Only what I had, like the, only the misinformation I'd seen in TV and media. So I've just always been like, if I were to define myself, just someone always looking to learn new things, always eager to hear different perspectives, always eager to meet people from various places. I've traveled. Yeah, I lived for a year in Korea. I've obviously lived in Cameroon for over a year as well. I've been to Europe. I've lived in Germany, in, in France. I've been to Turkey, to Istanbul and Cyprus. Um I'm trying to go to Canada this summer. Mm-hmm. So I just I'm just always trying to meet people here in Philadelphia. One of the things I love so much about this city is that we get 
tourists, we get exchange students from all over. I have a lot of Chinese friends that offer different perspectives on things. And I have lots of like Dutch friends and French friends that give different perspectives. So just always looking to learn from them and then also share that living here in America. It's similar to the, the mainland where are like, you know, the motherland where people don't travel outside of it a lot often. Right. Right. A lot of Americans, like a lot of white Americans haven't left America or they haven't always interacted with people from other countries. And so they have very insular opinions that are based only on like their own small ex- like experience, especially here in Pennsylvania, where we have a lot of like farmer towns, rural areas where people have barely left the state even or don't even have a passport. Right, right. Thank you very much for sharing that. I really appreciate it. Now, I know you just mentioned about, you know, the rape incident, even though this is not, you know, an episode about rape or anything of that sort. But, Mm -hmm. you know, you're getting us into your life. And first of all, I want to say I'm sorry to hear that you went through that. You know, Mm -hmm. these are conversations that I've always wanted us to have openly. And I'm really, really grateful to you that, you know, you openly share that with us. You know, so I wanted to ask you with respect to that very briefly, did that experience, well, first of all, when did it happen and did that impact your gender identity? So it's a common misconception that sexual abuse can like make somebody change their gender or their sexuality because there is a high, like a high rate of sexual abuse and rape within the LGBTQ plus community. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of, you know, mentioned earlier, but like it was off camera, but I'd mentioned earlier how ever since I was a kid, I was always making male video game characters. I was always, if I, if I like played house, I was, the husband I was the father if I imagined myself in a marriage like you know you, you think of like a dream wedding I never ever saw myself in the wife role whatsoever yeah. even like even those who have known me growing up like I would wear dresses sometimes but often my mom was fighting for me to wear the dresses or fighting for me to wear them properly because I would be you know lifting them up to be free and and do things and I was always classed as a tomboy so that was already well established Right. Yeah. And then when I was 11 is when I was I was raped, but it was already like all that stuff was already well established. Those notions of what is masculinity, what is femininity? I'm not liking the definitions my parents are giving me. Mm-hmm. That was already well established before it happened. And if anything, my specific situation was me trying to, quote unquote, embrace a feminine body and do what I saw people in media doing because I loved, you know, Twilight, Vampire Diaries, like watching romance stuff. And so I was that was me trying to embrace what I thought I was supposed to be doing. And I was taken advantage of by a family member instead. And that made it harder for me to love myself and be comfortable with intimacy with others yeah. like physical intimacy but it it wasn't about it didn't make up my mind or yeah. have me change my identity, identity. It, just, it just ruined my self-esteem and myself right that was all it did was my right. self-esteem and myself as a person right because my because my personality my behavior hasn't changed just because my gender identity changed right all that changed was how i asked to be called And how I and the clothes that I wear. Right. So just to clarify with the audience who may be confused, physiologically, physiologically, you were born female. 
So we use the terms like AFAB or AMAB, which is just an abbreviation. So assigned female at birth, assigned male at birth. Mm-hmm. And the reason that we use these is not like because people, a lot of people don't know even that even humans, that a lot of species have multiple genders, more than just two, or a lot of languages have multiple genders. A lot of African languages mm-hmm. have multiple gender pronouns and things like that. Mm-hmm. And humans physiologically, biologically are not any different. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of people who are termed as like intersex that are born with more than one set of genitalia that like that's classified as male or female. Mm-hmm. And what happens is they can live their life perfectly fine, right? It's, you know, one or two or both or whatever may be functional. But what happens a lot of the time is parents and doctors will force one or the other to be chosen. And then they will mutilate the baby to remove one of the part so that mm-hmm. it only looks, so that it, so that they can look more one way or the other. So okay. we use the terms assigned female at birth, assigned male at birth, because it doesn't just include trans people like me who were assigned female at birth. And then I later changed my gender identity to something else or, you know, started presenting a different way as yeah. in like my outside me, but also to include those intersex people that were born perfectly fine one way, but then their parents or the doctor without even sometimes without even the consultation of the parent take that Takes executive decision yeah. to change their body for them as yeah. if it's a favor. So when you say to something else, basically you're talking assigned female at birth to a male, right? When you said, you know, you chose to be, well, you decided to be as a trans person, you were assigned yeah. female at birth. And then yeah. you said you changed your gender to something else. I just want yeah. to, to mm-hmm. clarify that, especially since you use the pronoun they, them, even he, yeah. his. Okay, perfect. Thank you very much for clarifying and actually educating us on that because I did not know that as well. And something I learned recently too, because it's not well known. Right, right. So now it seems like you basically lived in two worlds, right? In America and in Cameroon. How is your life in Cameroon per se, which is basically Africa, right? So mm-hmm. this podcast is directed to Africans per se, even though, of course, you're African in America, but America has a broader demographic compared to, you know, the community in Cameroon. So how was your life in Cameroon, especially growing up as a tomboy? And I would think your parents were actually here in America, right? And they sent you back home to school in Cameroon. Yeah. Yeah, So you had to live with relatives in Cameroon. So how was life out there? And at what age did you come about, you know, choosing your identity in terms of basically your sexual identity? Was it before you were in Cameroon or were you even think, not even choosing, but even thinking about it, right? Because you said you were a tomboy and everything, right? So, I mean, there are some tomboys that, you know, have not been trans are people still, yeah, still are still, straight, you yeah. Know, yeah. So, I mean, back then, I remember when we were young, you know, being a tomboy doesn't necessarily mean that you're trying to change your identity. It could just mm-hmm. be like things yeah. you like or how, you yeah. know, especially with you, you were around boys. So, of course, I mean, what else would one? Well, I had lots of female friends. So that's the thing is like, is that's the other thing that they think my parents would think I was copying my brother because my, my brother is four years older than me. Mm-hmm. But it really... When I got to about age 10, my mom tried to have a talk and tell me that I couldn't have my friends in my room anymore because all of my friends were boys. Mm. And that was so annoying to me because I was like, that's all of my friends. How how can you tell me to not have all of my friends in my room because they're boys? I was like, what do you think we're doing in there? 
we would just be hanging out because, you know, growing up in Arizona, it's very hot outside. Yeah, it's very hot. So we just migrate from one air conditioned house to the other house. Mm-hmm. And so after she tried to pass that rule, we just basically kind of stopped hanging out at my house and just went to an other house. But I was always like the only quote unquote girl in the group. Mm-hmm. You know, I was always well, I grew up wrestling, doing all these things. And it was just when we would go to events when needed, like my mom would force me into dresses and, you know, wearing makeup. And I thought that stuff was fun, but I was never good at it. And I I didn't really have a large desire. Like even in elementary school, I would be laughing at girls that would run away from like, they'd see the shadow of a ball, like overhead and just like run away. And they'd be sitting in like gossiping. And I never, I never really liked that, liked that. And I always would talk trash about them in that sense. And then, and I felt more comfortable just hanging out with guys. And then ironically, or is it, I, that, that was going on, but after I had my own separate friends from my brother, it's not like I was just always with my brother. Mm-hmm. He had his own friends because he's four years old. So while, growing up as kids after I, after I was 10 years old, you know, he was 14. So we began to be at a very big, yeah. like, Different. maturity puberty yeah. gap yeah that we couldn't really get along <laughs> yeah. that well so we would only occasionally play video games together but it got to the age where it's like i don't want to have you around me you know cramping my friend my style with my friends mm-hmm. so i wasn't really with him that much i was with my own friends who again like were mostly but not all guys until i went to boarding school where i was obviously like you know in the girls dorm i had to wear like the dress uniform yeah which i didn't mind because it was it's just like, you know, it's it's like a jumper is easy to throw on, you know, all that. But all the domestic activities I wasn't really good at. And so my cousins had to help me out from that aspect. And the guys, honestly, I look back at boarding school and in my brother's experience, because he also went to boarding school for more years than I did. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy I didn't have to go over there because it's like, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, I look at perspective and I just, from both the stereotypical masculinity aspect and then the stereotypical femininity aspect, I don't like either of them. The stereotypical masculinity is often very gross. Like the guys from my boarding school, there was just more thievery going on over there. It was just, you know, they, so many times, so much that their uniforms would just be some kind of way, like, I was like, thank God I don't have to be over there. Um, it was more peaceful over on the girls' side. But I was with the girls. And so then naturally I had to, like, I made some female friends. But, like, my closest friends were still guys. So right, <laughs> I would right. read and talk with, you know, because I, like, stereotypical girls, they don't care about comics. They don't care about this other stuff. So my friends that had stuff in common with me were guys. And I just, you know did what I was supposed to do because I was in school and I didn't want to get beat. So I did what I was supposed to do. Yeah. Finish, you know, finish school. I, I didn't have any bad grades or anything because I've always liked learning. And I just tried to stay optimistic about it and see it as an experience. I was very isolated for the most time, most part when I was in Cameroon, like whenever I had breaks, I was like at an aunt's house in Bamendo or I was in the village by my, like left or was where I was the only kid. So I wasn't, interacting with a lot of other people mm-hmm. and when I was interacting with kids they were all much younger than me so I was more of like a parental figure in mm-hmm. a sense I left to, to watch them I've always liked children and like mm-hmm. that's like the only thing that you could that you could say as a as a kid they would put on me as like motherly it was just like me caring for 
younger children. And I also teach as well. So I'm very passionate about young children and education. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would like taking care of my little cousins. Um, and that was, but that was about it. Like the right. other stereotypical stuff, I wasn't really passionate <laughs> or crazy about doing. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was, yeah. That's pretty much how it was. And here in, in America, in the Cameroonian community where we'd go to like our meetings and event it was the same thing it's like you know I would wear what I had to wear or I would fight and my mom would start buying me more pants and then I could just be wearing pants you know it's more female clothing is a little bit more flexible that way yeah so when did you have the realization and make that you know decision that I want to identify with this specific gender so as I said earlier um and I'll try to make sure I'm not speaking too fast but as I said earlier Ever since I was really young, I was always playing male characters and I always identified more with them in books. I wanted to be the, you know, white knight that comes and saves the princess, not the other way around. And it got to the point I was really comfortable with my tomboy role because it meant that I could practice stereotypical male gender roles and not have people look at me a different kind of way. Mm -hmm. And especially since I didn't know that trans men existed, because for the most part, once you, it's like, if if you're a trans male person, you pass very quickly for the most part. Right. Either you pass very quickly or people just assume you're like a lesbian. Mm -hmm. So um, I didn't know they, they existed at all. Because most trans people, the ones that you know, are trans women because people are always arguing about them mm-hmm. because women, women yeah. never get a break. Yeah. <laughs> Even whether you're trans or you're not trans, women never get a break. So mm-hmm. their bodies are always being argued about. And that True. is why they're the only kind of trans person I knew. I thought trans meant only trans women. And it wasn't until I met a physical trans male that I was like, oh, I didn't know this was an option. Mm-hmm. And then I began to question and I was like, do I want to do that? And at first the answer was no, because I didn't want to be homeless. You know, like I said, I like to learn. I read the news. So I knew that um, here in America, about like 70 percent, 60 percent of the homeless youth in America are part of the LGBTQ plus community because their parents will throw them out. There was even a famous show that finished airing, I think last year called Pose that was um, from Fox, yeah. Fox Entertainment, that it starts in Pennsylvania about a black dancer, it's all, all black queer cast, a black dancer named Damon. He likes to go learn ballet and he would leave home. He lived actually like... 30 minutes from where my dad lives and he would take the bus all the way to like the next town and go take ballet lessons just because he wanted to dance. And there are male ballet dancers, a hundred percent. And many of them are not gay, but because he was doing ballet, because it was termed a girl sport, his father, you know, beat him with a belt and threw him out. And his mom was crying and, and, and watched him, but she was mad instead that he was still going to go dance Again, many male famous dancers and, and and but because it's interpreted as a female thing mm-hmm. and because they associate it with being gay, he was thrown out and he was gay. But it was it's just I don't even understand. Association. I, don't understand. I can't even yeah. explain. I, I can't even understand. But it's just this aspect of my son is talented at dancing, but because he's gay, it's like. 
I don't want him dancing. I don't want him, you know, dressing this way. People talk about me. I like now my masculinity is thrown into question because my son likes to go dance ballet, which I just think is ridiculous. But again, I can't speak from that mindset because I don't share it. But that was those are the things that I was seeing. I see it happen. You you spoke about the suicidal rates. It's very high. And I didn't want to kill myself because I had plenty of plans for the future. Like I wanted to go to college. Yeah, I wanted to study abroad, do all these things. But I was so scared of my parents kicking me out and not giving me a chance to do that because then I would be, you know, unaccompanied minor, technically illegal. And so I was so scared about all these different legal repercussions and problems that I never felt comfortable coming forth about it until I was about to graduate high school when I had spoken to my guidance counselor about being suicidal and feeling trapped in my house for multiple reasons, one of which was just me keeping this secret. Secret, yeah. And that was, you know, she's legally obligated to call my parents and tell them about it. And so when my parents had to come pick me up from school, they couldn't let me go back to class. Then it forced the conversation. And that's when I first came out to them. I came out to them several times. Um, That's when I first came out to them. And after that, I graduated high school and I I first identified as androgynous. You know, I took baby steps. So I was just like, oh, you know, I I like using all the pronouns and I just lean more towards the masculine side. And then I went to college. And over that summer, when I graduated high school, by the time I got to college, I full on like changed my name. I was like, I'm going to just tell everybody he, him pronouns. Hi. And I was doing that all my freshman year. I had little pronoun buttons and it was in part because I was two hours away from my house. So whenever I had to go back to my house for like a weekend or for the break, it was like, take off the buttons, take off of this. Hi, you know, I'm dead name again and whatever. And then I have to put up with it. And that lasted for like a year because while I was at school, I noticed my mental health increased exponentially. (laughs) Everyone was very welcoming. They were all very respectful. They just accepted my pronouns, accepted my name. There was no question about it. And having to go back every weekend or every break and pretend to be who I used to be Mm. was very depressing. And it made it so hard that I couldn't put up with it anymore. So then I came out to my parents again, in part because they were hearing about it because I had changed my social media by that point. And, and so I was like out on social media and I was out at school, but I wasn't I wasn't saying anything at home. I and mean, again, my parents don't really talk. So they, they, weren't, they weren't coming to me. But when I started to bring it up, then they were like, oh, we've been hearing these X, Y, Z from family members. They've seen your Facebook or they saw this online and they were they were yelling at us or they've been gossiping about us or saying that we're bad parents, et cetera, et cetera. And. They just they just kind of made it all about them and didn't really feel any concern for me. But uh, that was when I had decided that I was like, well, everybody already gossips about it and they already know anyway, then I don't care. Like, whatever. This is what's going on. And this is how it's going to stay. And my dad was very adamant that he would never call me his son. He would never agree with it. And I was dead to him. You know, the devil's going to possess me, whatever, blah, blah. And I said, well, you know, as long as you're still paying my my tuition and I'm still going to school, I'm going to graduate. I'm going to you know, be an adult. I'm going to live my life and things are going to change and you'll just put up with it. Like, that's just how it's going to be. And he was like, I guess he was kind of, I'll see it when I see it kind of thing. And I started taking the, like I started hormone replacement therapy and my voice changed and my voice got 
to where it is now. It wasn't originally like this. And again, he said nothing. My family said nothing, even though it absolutely was happening. And so it just became this quiet thing. Like, I'm just doing whatever I want at this point. It's my money. And everyone is just going to have to put up with it, I guess, or I'll cut them off and just go be a depressed, lonely person with no family. So it was like, I was ready to be the depressed, lonely person with no family. But I guess in part because of the deaths in my family that later yeah. occurred yeah. and a lot of the the pain that yeah. my mom and my mom's side of the family had suffered, then it became a no, please don't go. Like we will try our best. So it's been the past like five years of me constantly coming out to family members over and over again, giving them reminders whenever they use the wrong pronouns and just reassuring them that it's like, I am still the, like, I would have been this same person. I just need you to respect my pronouns. Just use different pronouns. I mean, I understand that even with English, it's difficult. They make mistakes all the time anyway, but it's just a matter of respect. Just as how elders want to be greeted a certain way, yeah, a certain order to things, it's the same thing that when people ask a dog, they'll be like, oh, you have, or like my cat, they'll be like, oh, you have a cat. Is it a he or a she? And I'm like, it's a she. It's the same. And then they'll immediately be like, okay, now it's in my head. That's the same respect that we living yeah. people, non-animals are asking for. Yeah. So that is, that, that is, um, that's basically what it is. I want to reiterate, like when, and when you said about the lifestyle thing of people not necessarily agreeing, my, my parents had gotten married with a polygamy agreement, right? Here in America, that's looked down upon. Mm -hmm. Christianity does not support polygamy. Mm -hmm. Mormonism does Islam does, you know, but Protestant Christians aren't polygamous. Mm -hmm. But in Africa, because it was an institution before colonizers came and brought Christianity to Africa, polygamy was very normal. Mm -hmm. And it's not as normal today, again, because of the colonization. Yeah. But it still happens and people don't shame others for it. Or at least most, I think, I would like to think most people don't mm -hmm. because you can choose to agree to it or not. Here in America, polygamy is like this new concept that is seen as part of the LGBTQ plus community because it's hmm. uh, not tied to a religion. It's just people being polyamorous, loving multiple people mm -hmm. with or without marriage. So I want to add that in as for Africans that might think, oh, this is like you're shoving this in my face. It's like the same concept of polygamy here is seen as cheating it's crazy it doesn't work people don't believe you if you say that everyone is consenting adults that are taking part in this relationship dynamic it's exactly the same thing for the queer community whatever specific sexual identity or gender identity you are all you know consenting adults participating in certain relationship dynamics the same way that the same way that I grew up watching from, you know, 10 years old, whatever, every age Disney movies, I watch straight couples kiss. There should be no problem with watching a queer couple kiss because you can't say you're endorsing sexuality or forcing um, sex on people because we already see it every day, already see it, you know. Cinderella, a lot of them aren't healthy either. Like Cinderella, you see them kissing. Sleeping Beauty, he kisses a woman that is asleep. You know, she has no choice to consent. But that is a widely accepted 
Beauty and the Beast, he's not even human for the most part in the beginning. You know, there's nobody questions these tales and media that we give our children until you add the LGBTQ element to it. Only when you want to add something else or even when you want to add like a black person, that is when it starts to be questioned. So I want to urge the people who listen to this to really think about it. Think about the stuff you watched growing up. Think about how much of it has heterosexual relationships in it, how normalized it is. If our world had majority homosexual relationships and they wanted to put a heterosexual relationship there, it would be the same issue of, oh, we have all these. So why are we like now we're suddenly trying to put this like if it was re- reversed, it would be the same exact thing. And there's a really there's a, a couple movies. But I'm forgetting the name right now off the top of my head. I might look it up. But there's a really good movie that's made um, by French people where this man walks into a pole and he wakes up and the male and female roles in society are reversed where all the women are in power and he is like a secretary to this powerful business person. Originally he was, he was the business person and now he's a secretary and he's being harassed. It's the same concept of switching your mind where one thing is normalized now. And the other thing that used to be normalized is now the, the um, foreign element. Think about that. No one is asking everybody to be part of the community. A hundred percent. Yeah. Don't think of it even don't even think about it even as a community. Think of it as just representing our current society, truthful representation, because it's not as if queer people just came up this past century or this past two centuries. They were always here. The difference is they were erased, just as how African history African kings and queens, you know, always been there. African art, always been there. The difference is it's been erased. It's been oppressed, stolen, and changed. So it's the exact same concept. Truthful representation of our current and, you know, long existing society. Yeah, thank you very much for saying that. You actually make a couple of points which are right as well. And, you know, From my own part, the message I also want to pass, which I have already said again, is that, you know, like you just said, with respect to polygamy and stuff, it's it's accepted and rejected in in various communities, right? Based on the values of that communities and the beliefs. And just because someone chooses to be a polygamist doesn't necessarily mean that they should be discriminated against or Mm -hmm. they should be basically terrorized and outcasted. You know what I mean? So that's, I I mean, either way, they're going to get a respect. You have all this notable people, like for example, in the middle is this Muslim people when they meet, meet up with our presidents and our, you know, notable people too from this way and if they introduce their multiple wives they have to you know respect that that hey this is my multiple wife these are my multiple wives and stuff like Mm -hmm. that but you know especially in communities where you know homosexuality or just the members of the lgbtq or values of the lgbtq are you know illegal per se even mm-hmm. if it's legal because i mean in a in a african community a lot of countries it's illegal you know yes but then again it's just like okay on a I personal the most recent country to legalize it was mozambique 
Right, right. And, and and then again, in and out of Africa, it doesn't change who we are. We are still Africans, right? Mm-hmm. And just because we're still Africans, we're also human beings at the same point. And mm-hmm. so however we prefer to live our lives or however we want to live our lives, especially as long as it's not impacting the other person, it yeah, should as not. As long as there's no abuse. Right. As long as there's no abuse and stuff like that, you know, like we should not be discriminated against because of how we live our lives as long as it does not impact another person the least we demand is respect for one another Mm -hmm. regardless you know so there are many things we don't believe in but we respect them so i that's what i'm calling on our community to do you don't have i'm not telling you forcing you to believe in any of this values or any of these principles i'm just pleading with you to show empathy and show respect to this group of people that's all i'm trying to do now You know, it's interesting that you had to come out to your parents or your family members multiple times. I'm sure they probably Mm -hmm. were in disbelief. And I'm sure based on what you said, it seems like you had come out to your parents before you even started changing your social media and all Mm -hmm. of that. You did that in high school. So how was that first reaction? Because coming out can literally be a liberating experience or it could just make things worse. So how was that experience? So when I first tried to come out to my parents again, it was in the middle of a whole, why are you suicidal talk? So mm. it already wasn't, it wasn't really the main focus of the conversation, but mm. it was also, I was so scared to bring it up that I decided to tell them it was like, for me, I was looking at the things, so many things that I hadn't really talked to them about. It was easier to talk to them and, and tell them about being raped by my family member than it was to tell them about my gender identity because I was like the rape thing I'm probably not going to be kicked out for mm. and they can't really do anything about it because it was so long ago but the gender identity thing is like a very much ongoing process and I can 100% be kicked out for that one so I told them about the rape thing first and that kind of just overshadowed any other thing I told them after they were just focused on that mm. part and so that's why that's part of why I had to come out to them multiple times because then it became a no mom it's not because I was raped that I decided to like do xyz I was already thinking about this stuff um I don't know what you're reading it's not true (laughs) and he did like like he didn't irreparably you know damage me or whatever Mm -hmm. um because it's like it's it's not as if like where I am now I love my body the way it is and you know you shouldn't just go around asking trans people, but if anybody was wondering, it's like, I don't have a penis Mm -hmm. and I'm not trying to have one, Mm -hmm. but I love my body the way it is now. Right. I only made a few small adjustments, you know, to feel more comfortable. And it was more of me wanting to have a certain silhouette in clothing. I wanted to wear clothing easier. That was like the only real reason. The, like I said, being raped only affected my self-esteem and my conceptions of what a healthy relationship what sex is supposed to be like Mm -hmm. that was all that affected and it's the same thing historically in the queer community for example everybody knows that a lot of catholic priests for some reason they attract sexual abusers to the catholic church and a lot of catholic people try to be like oh you know it's a few bad apples there are thousands upon thousands of catholic priests that specifically rape little boys for some reason i don't know why i don't know what what is possessing them but a Part of it is the suppression in the Catholic religion that kind of, I think, forces them to act out in this way. And 
Well, let, let's not let's not assume that because yeah, yeah. it's it's a well, very I'm generalized not, I'm not, statement. I'm not say assuming you can yeah. you can go and watch. You can watch Spotlight. You can go do the research. Here in Pennsylvania, there was a huge case against like 50 different churches here in Pennsylvania that had abuse cases and stuff like that, um, where they had to pay a huge um, sum. But and I and I'm also speaking from my own personal perspective since my parents are Presbyterian mm-hmm. of the suppression the conversion camps that we have that still operate here in America of pray the gay away, Mm -hmm. um, turn it off, don't choose it, just don't do it, beat it out of them. That kind of mentality that for somebody that grows up that way in fear the whole time, a lot of them will then end up acting out in abuse. Mm -hmm. For me, you know, that was something that I had to go and Fortunately, I, I had the courage to go and try and learn and learn about healthy relationship dynamics, learn about, and I'm sure, I don't know if you've done an episode on it already, but like there is an issue of emotional abuse of negotiation in like improper negotiation between parents and children in African families mm-hmm. where it's enforced the, through enforcing discipline. It makes this culture of fear in the home. Yeah. Where me and my brothers, we don't talk to my parents. We don't feel comfortable talking to our parents about our problems because it often results into yelling and like, why do you feel that way? Don't do that. Just, mm-hmm. you know, there's negation or like, don't go to therapy. That's like a white people problem. That's the first world problem. You know, right. this is, these are made up concepts. Mm-hmm. Just don't feel that way. Yeah. And you've gone and learned this, these problems on the internet. You, how do you learn a problem on the internet? I learned the language for the problem on the internet, but I didn't learn the problem on the internet. My problems are very personal, very real to me. Right. So that kind of dynamic in the home makes it even worse when trying to relate to other people's children who come from different backgrounds. So it was, it was, it, it's, it's been a long process of unlearning things and then trying to relearn and making mistakes and growing from them. Right. So now talking about, you know, the process as a whole, I know you've you've spoken about, you know, a lot of that. So you mentioned that you had taken, you know, the the hormones to get your voice, Mm -hmm. you know, changed and stuff like that. Now, what exactly were I don't even know how to ask this, but I hope I don't want to change changes or it's, it's part of that question. Cause I know we've had this conversation before, you know, so like what was a priority to you in terms okay. of the change? Okay. Yeah. So I first want to say that my route was a little easier than others because some, a lot of it was covered by insurance, mm-hmm. but for a lot of people, it doesn't get covered by medical insurance. So then it becomes a lot more difficult. And then also want to add on that had I had the support of my parents, it would have been a much safer, much easier, quicker process. Mm -hmm. So I feel, you know, jealous all the time that some people have very accepting parents that are willing to help them. Even though my my extended family, you know, respects who I am now, I receive no help whatsoever in anything that I'm doing in this sense. So like for hormones, you know, age of consent for most things is 18 here mm-hmm. in America. So I turned 18. I'm fortunate I live in a city that has an LGBTQ plus health center. Mm-hmm. So they hold a conference every year for doctors and surgeons and educators to raise awareness and, and educate people on like procedures and things like that. And so I went to the conference. I learned about 
the different, you know, risks and side effects and other things and options. And then I went for it. It was like a two hour consultation where I talked about my situation, myself at home, my history. And then they gave me an informed consent packet for me to read the different like, you know, processes, different changes. Mm-hmm about rough timeline of when things would happen, all the different stuff, make sure I'm aware of everything. And then when I had the money, because I was paying for it out of pocket, I went, I started, I started, I had my first appointment. I learned how to inject myself. There's different ways you can take it. I learned how to inject myself. And it's honestly, it's uh, easier than birth control in the sense, like my shots, I don't, I'm not on it anymore, but my shots are once a week and the most important thing for me was my voice. I wanted my voice to be deeper. I wanted, I kind of wanted facial hair, but then I started growing. I didn't want it. Now I kind of have it and I kind of like it back and forth. That's a personal thing. It has nothing to do with gender per se. Mm-hmm. Um, but it could then, be the side effect of the hormones too, right? What? It could be oh, the side yeah, effect. The side yeah. of the, no, this is, this was a hundred percent. Like I had, I had the side effect was me growing more facial hair. Yeah. The testosterone um, basically. More yes. Testosterone. Yes. So it's the, the same as men who are born with naturally low testosterone that take supplements. It's mm-hmm. the same exact thing mm-hmm. of, I was getting blood work the first year, every couple months to make sure that my levels were at a healthy level. It's not like athletes who take testosterone to you know steroids to be all strong and bulk up the aspect the the goal of it is to get just enough levels to be the same as As an average male yeah so they monitor it and if it gets too high then they reduce your dose and and so on and so forth so the whole point is to get at a healthy level and they they test you you know for everything else to make sure your bone density is good Mm or other stuff Mm -hmm. so I did that after the first year. I, I did the testosterone first because it's recommended to be on it for about a year because then your fat starts redistributing into a more like male pattern, you know, going like from the hips into your stomach, et cetera, before I had my double mastectomy, which was what we call on the trans community, just generic top surgery. Mm-hmm. And it's technically just a breast reduction. Mm-hmm. It's not like my, it's not like I have nothing on my chest per se, Yeah, but yeah, they remove like 90 percent of, of your breast tissue there. yeah and then they will like trim your nipples a little bit so that it looks more like a stereotypical mm-hmm. male nipple or some people choose to have like no nipples um but that's like another personal choice yeah. it, it grows it like grows back naturally like in shape so mm-hmm. mine grew back and so that was the biggest thing for me because i like to wear suits and yeah there I are see plenty that. of people with boobs who wear suits, but you'll know it's difficult. Yeah. It's expensive. Yeah. And especially I had very large breasts. It's like, I don't, if I was rich, I would just get them all tailored. I wouldn't care so much, but I wasn't mm-hmm. rich. Right. I wanted to be able to go to a, a standard store, a mall and be able to buy clothes. Mm-hmm. And so that is why I was, it was, that was the most important thing for me. And it was covered by insurance. So I, I didn't have to pay that much. I paid $50. Oh. Yeah. The recovery was very difficult. Cause like I said, I didn't have much support. My brother was kind of, he took me there and brought me back, but he was working. So I was just by myself laying on the couch, you know, my neighbor would bring me food, but I was just pretty much by myself on my own. It was in the summer. And again, like, I know like the other question was like about how the community reacted towards it. Yeah. And it was like, my parents never commented on it. I just like came back. He, my dad came back at the end of the summer. He, he had been in Cameroon and my boobs are gone and no one said anything. And that was just it. And it was just, you know, I don't know how, so I don't know how they feel. I know why well, I know he's not happy, but that it was just, I told him, I gave him warning like more than a year in advance. 
I am going to go forward and do these things, whether you support me or not. So you're yeah. just going to have to accept them, I guess. Like, it's just going to happen. Yeah. And I tried to negotiate with him. Like, if you don't want to call me your son, could you at least stop calling me daughter and call me child instead? You know, like, keep it neutral. And that actually started my shift towards gender neutrality as a whole, because as I began to pass more masculine, I started to adopt the male stereotypes. Yeah. You know, I became, especially being in America, I became the scary black man. Mm. Which when you grow up as a black woman in America, you're as a kid, you mm-hmm. know, it's a very frightening shift because now police are giving you extra looks. Mm. Women are crossing the street when you're walking down the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. And it became this. I don't understand why everybody's scared of me when I don't do anything. You know, it's like, I'm just existing. I'm just existing. And so me and my brother became very close after this because now I could understand his lived experience so much more intimately because I was experiencing it myself. Mm -hmm. And he became this kind of mentor for me where it was like, yeah, this is how I've been treated. You know, the talks that he got growing up were very different from the talks that you my got. parents were or were not giving me. Mm-hmm. You know, he was getting talks about police and mm-hmm. how to dress and navigate. I wasn't getting those talks. Mm-hmm. So now I was like wishing I had those talks. Right. <laughs> and again, my dad, you know, refuses to acknowledge me in this sense. And so even like shaving was given no no guidance, even just pubic hair, which I've always had, was mm-hmm. given no guidance. Right. You know, so I had to navigate all of it on my own, and with the help of my my brother. You know, when I reach out to him, and so it made it very awkward because, as I said, I started transitioning, like medically, which not everybody does, but I did. Yeah. At eighteen, and by the time I was, you know, I, I was already a sophomore in university at that time. So by the time I was twenty. You know, trying to date 19, 20, I graduated. Yeah, I was going to ask about your dating life. <laughs> it, became, it, became very, it became very awkward because I didn't really get into a relationship until I was like 19 because I didn't feel confident enough to, like I was too busy figuring myself out all through high school and mm-hmm. beginning. I was figuring myself out, trying not to be depressed, trying not to kill myself, that I, I didn't have the presence of mind to like, I didn't want to burden somebody, you know, to mm-hmm. be that that kind of unhealthy relationship where all you do is complain about your problems or you become codependent on that person for your mental health. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to do those kinds of things. So I stayed out of relationships and I did try and have some sex, but it was, it was weird because then it became this, I became this question of, well, which dating app am I supposed to be using? Or (laughs) what should I call my sexuality? Like my sexual identity has never really been a concern. It's always been my gender identity first. And then my sexual identity just kind of follows after with whatever I term I would fit fit under. Even now, I don't even, I've tried several different terms. And even now I don't, I just say like pansexual, like I just, it depends on the specific person because I think part of it is also being an artist that I can find on paper like I believe everybody has their own personal beauty yeah it's not always specifically attractive to me but I believe everybody has a personal beauty and I want everyone to value themselves and that's something I became very passionate about going through therapy healing from the rape was keeping that message. I say it to other people as much as I'm saying it to myself, that everybody has their own beauty and there's nobody that is quote unquote ugly. 
not everyone will look attractive to everybody, but there's always there's always things that are attractive about a person. And the biggest part is is confidence. The biggest part is confidence. And so for me, when it comes to my sexual identity, I'm so open in terms of different experiences because I'm open to trying things that I don't have a strong label on it one way or another. Yeah. So dating was a very much, well, I'm going to try really hard to try this kind of like relationship with somebody or try really hard to have this kind of relationship. But for the most part, my relationships are very straight appearing since I pass as male and then I typically date female people. So mm-hmm. and that's something and that's something the that image I've had in my head since I was a kid of like, you know, being that husband role. Yeah. That like, yeah, that, that being that husband role, that provider, that protector, that's something that that's a, that's a role I've always enjoyed partaking in. And that's part of the reason why I did even did martial arts was to be a, a protector, to be better enabled to protect people. I like being able to provide and make people feel like, you know, they don't have any worries yeah. when I'm around to be a dependable person. That's something that my brother also is very good at that. He's kind of like my role model in that aspect as well. Right. Thank you so much for sharing that. You know, you have shared so much. I have learned so much. And I hope that, you know, the members of our community also learn so much, you know, depending on how open-minded they are, because you definitely have to be open-minded to have such a conversation. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, this conversation that I have had with you just justifies why there's a need for us to have such conversations. And in that, I mean by, you know, from your own personal experience with your family, right? I want the audience to see or realize how it did not even matter. And it still doesn't matter what your dad at this point, since we unfortunately lost your mom, it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter what he thinks Mm -hmm. about your decisions. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what he thinks about how you choose to live your life you will still do what you want to do mm-hmm. because it is your life and that's how you want to leave it. Right. So this just goes to show that in the African community, no matter the discrimination or the hate or the judgment that we have towards members of the LGBTQ community, that community is not going any time soon. It's not, it will never go. It will still be around and it will still increase. So it is our duty To meet them in the middle, because from every LGBTQ plus community member that I have met, they typically open minded and they kind of try to get into our world. And it's our duty to also get into their world, whether we agree with them or not. But just for the sake of respect, to respect their decisions and the way they want to live their lives, because at the end of the day, I mean, it took your mother unfortunately passing for your family members to realize that, oh my God, if we don't do something to accept him the way he is, he could do something and we could lose him. It shouldn't mm-hmm. go to, it shouldn't get to that level. You and know I, what I, I mean? I want to say on, on that part, like, it's so strange because while I was so wrapped up in myself, as I said, you know, how my parents, when I tried to talk to them, were caught up in gossip. Yeah. You know, when I started transitioning socially, so like you think of it in three parts of like you do your personal self, like where you're like accepting, okay, I'm going, I identify as this, this is how I feel inside. Mm-hmm. You have your social aspect where you're like telling people, hi, 
This is how I identify. This is who I am. You have your medical transition where it's like, okay, I want to do these medical procedures. And then you have the legal aspect where you change your documents. Mm -hmm. So you think about it in those four parts, right? I was so busy with the self in part because I had to educate. I had my own prejudices, right? It's don't think of it as I don't want people to think that just because I'm a part of the community, I didn't have any bias or discriminatory thoughts about Mm -hmm. the LGBTQ plus community. I was just as uninformed as most people are. I had to actively go and learn. And it was only after learning that I realized I was also a member of this community or that these terms for me. I had to unlearn those stereotypes and open my mind, as you said, before I was able to realize it applied to me as well and that there was a space for me. And even then I had to meet people from other sections of the community and accept them too. Just as you can be African and you know about the African community or you go learn about the African community. Maybe you're an African person born in London per se, and you, you go to visit your home country in Africa and you have to you learn about your country's culture, but then you see like an Asian person and you have to, you have maybe some stereotypes or discrimination against them. You have to unlearn those things. It's the same thing. I had to unlearn those things and overly open my mind and about the whole of the LGBTQ plus community. It wasn't like, Oh, I'm queer or I'm trans and automatically I know everything about being trans. I accept all trans people. No, I still had stuff I had to unlearn and stuff that I have to question myself about all the time. And I really wanted to emphasize that not only is it about suicide and somebody dying, Mm -hmm. but really think about Africa as a continent has had so much take it right yeah so much erased there's so little written down it yeah. is passed from person to person and because of my relationship with my parents i was unfortunately you know like because of these con these um these content the contention that we had you know i didn't feel comfortable asking them to learn about my village's culture to learn my village dialects to learn the language and then I find myself as an adult, once I became comfortable with myself and I moved on to other things, other mm-hmm. passions, I started learning linguistics. I started studying languages and I can't even learn my own mom's, my, my mom's village language. You know, I can't even learn it because I was like, I would have learned it from my mom, but now she's dead. Yeah. And luckily, you know, her side of the family, my extended family has been very welcoming and very open. And again, Mm -hmm. I think in part of that was because we met again at my mom's funeral and at my cousin's funeral, you know, like that I was, they were, a lot of them were seeing me for the first time since I was like six years old. So there wasn't much choice, but they've been so open and and there's been all the years of of gossip that I wasn't a part of that they've decided it's, it's, um, you have to think about it in your family, your family. Yeah is you people die all the time, especially, and I'm speaking especially from Cameroon perspective with the the turmoil that's going on in the country right now. Yeah. People die at any time. And if you can choose to keep a living person versus emotionally killing them off, you should, I think you should choose to keep them, you know, because I had already like when I deleted my old Facebook that I had effectively cut off all of my extended family in Cameroon. I didn't know I, I didn't most of them I don't even I've never met some of them I've never met or I don't 
remember who they are. And so when I changed my account, I didn't, I had cut off my, myself and I felt like I could never go back to Cameroon again. Yeah. I thought that that was what it was like. I would never be able to go back. I would never be able to participate in my own culture that I grew up, that I used to be so immersed in. I thought I had to give all of that up. But if it was, if the choice was, if the choice was being myself, you know, because at the end of the day, I'm the only person living my life. Just yeah. because I, if I just go to these events and I'm part of the community, the, like the Cameroonian community, part of the, the culture, if I'm not happy at the end of the day, if yeah. I don't feel like I can get married, what yeah. is the point? Am yeah. I not wasting my life away? Yeah. So if the choice was between living my life the way I wanted and having happiness, having memories, having friends versus participating in my culture, I would choose the happiness. happiness yeah. My mom, when, when I, you know, I, I was like, you know, crying, everything. This is maybe like the third time I'm coming out to her and, and like really emphasizing that this is something that's not going away that I need her to acknowledge and respect. She told me, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not going to be buried with you. And she very much now is buried, not with me. Hmm. But she told me we're all going to be buried separately. So I would rather you try and live the life and still lead a you know lead a respectable life, accomplish the things you want to accomplish because it's not like she's like I know that you're smart, you have ambitions. Yeah. I don't want this one thing to be keeping you, eating you up inside. That you know I have to go bury you. You won't die before. That was what she told me. So I want to urge any parents that are watching this to think about it from that perspective. Yeah. There are more than enough examples. In this day and age, you know, it's 2022. There are more than enough examples of people that are members of the queer community, of the LGBTQ plus community, that have family, that have jobs, that are famous, mm-hmm. that are successful, that are scholars, activists, advocates, you know, firefighters, police, here, whatever. They're in every profession, all over the world, every culture, without exception. There are more than enough examples. It's not 1980, you know, it's not the AIDS crisis. It's not some, it's, it's not the time before where everybody is invisible and you don't know who's who and you can, you know, stereotypes and rumors are rampant. No, if you have some access to some internet, you can find ample examples in media, in whatever profession, politician, yeah. all over, having children, Adopting children, leading happy lives. Those children grow up and they live happy lives too. It's normal for them to have two dads. It's normal for them to have two moms or whatever relationship dynamic is going on. Just as those who are polygamous, it's normal for their children. My mom's siblings are all half siblings. It's normal for them that we, they consider themselves all full siblings, even though many of them have different moms. Yeah. You no, know, we're all one big family and I didn't even know it's like I didn't even know yeah there was there was no scandal at first I thought it was scandalous because I grew up here in America where I'm thinking oh my god he had like why did he have so many wives or like what was going on but it was normal for me like oh they're just all siblings they all love each other all of us are cousins we're not slicing any well oh technically it's like a half cousin or whatever no we're all family we all love each other equally you know, so, and there's that mutual respect between everyone. It's the same concept of if your child 
ends up, you know, they marry like they they in a gay marriage or in whatever kind of marriage or they have kids or they don't have kids. It's the same concept of, you know, that child is going to grow up and think that their family is normal and they shouldn't be made to feel like their family isn't normal. And they will they can still be afforded the same happiness as long as there's no abuse. Right. Yeah. There should be no problem with how somebody is living their life because you could still turn in, in Cameroon, we have Muslim. Our neighbors were Muslim. We're Presbyterian. We don't go out of our way to criticize our Muslim neighbors. They're not hurting anybody, mm-hmm. you know. So it's that same kind of respect that's afforded to people of different religion that you should afford people of different sexualities because you have to acknowledge that there are multiple sexualities. No one's forcing a specific one on anybody. Yeah, but. I think that you should, that there should be, and what people advocate for when they advocate for LGBTQ plus rights, we're advocating not that everybody needs to suddenly be bisexual or whatever, but that there needs to be acknowledgement that yeah. there are multiple kinds of sexuality. Yeah. There are multiple kinds of gender identities. When you say that it's only a man and a woman, when it's only heterosexual, you are erasing all the people that exist. You're saying they don't exist. You're saying it's made up, but it's not made up. They exist. So you you can acknowledge, there's space to acknowledge that there are multiples of something and still choose the one you want to choose. By acknowledging that there are multiple sexualities, it doesn't make you any less straight. It doesn't make you any less of a man. Yeah. It doesn't change who you are. Only you can change who you are. No one is forcing anything on you. Just as a child can grow up all their life watching straight couple, watching heterosexual couples kiss, make love, have families on TV and still be homosexual. Homosexual. Yeah, that's true. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that. And that was such a great last word to the community, especially our African community. And, you know, my last call is just for us to show empathy, regardless of who we are dealing with, whether they're members of LGBTQ plus community or whatever community. As human beings first is our duty to show respect and empathy for one another. And also, you know, try to get to learn and get to know one another with respect as well. So thank you so much for sharing all of this. I really hope that this enlightens the members of our community. I hope that we have learned at least one lesson or one thing about members of the other community. Again, we may not agree. We may not believe in that, but we have to just acknowledge that, that yes, it exists. This is what exists, but it's none of my business. This is what exists, Mm -hmm. but I don't have anything to do with it. But I will acknowledge that this person lives their lives this way and I will respect that. So thank you so much, Leon. And I really appreciate you and I wish you all the best. And I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to our show. If you want to participate in the show or find out more helpful resources, then visit www.livingafricanpodcast.com for more information or email us at hello at livingafricanpodcast.com. Also, don't forget to connect with us on all social media platforms at Living African Podcast. You can also connect with Anyo directly on Facebook or Instagram at Anyo Fombard. Thanks again for listening and let's not forget to be more understanding and nicer to one another.